0: I'm Richard Blaze and I'm a chef and restaurateur who has judged or competed on nearly every cooking show. And now I've found a way to judge on a podcast. On my new podcast,
1: Food Court with Richard Blaze, amazing guests bring their food arguments to my court and I settle them once and for all. You think ranch is better than blue cheese? Prove it. You hate pineapple on pizza? Convince me. The first season of Food Court with Richard Blaze is up, and you can subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your
2: podcasts.
3: Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey everybody! Welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here at the L.A. studio, uh, right here in Central Hollywood. I came out for my annual jaunt to uh, Max Fun Con at Lake Arrowhead, and I always try to squeeze in episodes, as you know by now. And uh, this week, I asked the great and the wonderful Alex Fernie uh, to sit in with me. Uh, Alex, I actually met at Max Fun Con a few years ago, and he is part of he is one third of the uh, of the comedy improv troupe. Convoy out of UCB here in LA. And uh, Convoy is one of the best, you guys. If you ever get a chance to check out Convoy when you're in LA, do it, do it, do it. Uh, Todd Fass- uh, Todd Fasson, Alec Berg, and Alex Fernie, just really uh, thinking with a singular mind. Three really, really funny guys that have been doing this together for, geez, I think Alex said like 17 or 18 years now. Um, really, really have their craft down. And it's some of the best improv I've ever seen. Um, So I met all those guys a couple of years ago there and kind of kept up uh, with Alex over the years through Facebook and stuff. Um, He's also a director. He directed uh, a lot of episodes of Children's Hospital, Uh, one of my very favorite all-time comedies uh, in TV history is Children's Hospital. It's just such a fun, silly show. And we got to talk a little bit about that as well. And um, a little bit about his background in performing uh, for kind of a shy guy uh, is another one of those cases of someone who uh, was probably an introvert who found their voice on stage, Uh, and that's the case with Alex. And really good dude, uh, great taste in films, uh, very smart guy, and he picked the awesome Steven Soderbergh film from 1998, Out of Sight. Uh, We go back in time to when uh, George Clooney was not even George Clooney, and Jennifer Lopez before she was J-Lo, and it's kind of hard to remember uh, all those many years ago when they weren't big movie stars. So uh, we talked about Out of Sight, we talked about Steven Soderbergh a lot and uh, what a master craftsman he is, and we we had a really good time. So here we go with Alex Fernie on Out of Sight. I do want to talk about, uh, well, where are you from, first of all? Uh I I grew up in New Hampshire. Like
1: Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh yeah, New Hampshire. But I I lived kind of all over the northeast. I lived in I grew up in New Hampshire and then I lived in Rhode Island and a little bit in Boston and went to Uh school in the mid Hudson and so but like so I just kinda say the northeast. If I want to surprise people I say I grew up on a horse farm because I did really Uh, and people wouldn't guess that from me uh for like childhood I lived on like this like not like oh it's a up every morning working horses it Uh was just a farm where there were some horses how many horses uh it ranged like sometimes it was like three or four but then at one point I think when I was very young there were like 14 horses wow yeah who who did what with them uh, my mom grew up with horses and like, liked to ride them mm-hmm. and had some, uh, that like, like her dad had, had and stuff. Uh, and so that was mainly, I think where they came from. I think some of them might've belonged to other people cause I don't know how we would have had 13 or 14 horses, but, uh, so we would like hang out and on this beautiful sort of farm that in the, you know, eighties, my, my dad and probably my mom made, into a sort of, I think, I would bet if we could go back, it looks very like whatever Home and Garden magazine yeah. was in 1986. Bucolic, uh lifestyle, yeah. like those, like those, like bleach wood w- w- wickery chairs everyone uh-huh. had, with, like the the bent metal, and then <laughs> yeah. that, like, like I don't know what those are called, but everybody had them in like the mid to late eighties. Just listening to Graceland on them. Are you? Are you- <laughs> Are you still uh, into horses? No, I I never was. was, uh, Also, well, the other part of that was I was allergic to horses. (laughs) (laughs) It (laughs) fucking sucks to grow up on a horse farm. So, like, I would ride a little bit. You're like, why is Alex always sick? Yeah, (laughs) just with this, like, little boy in a bubble. Uh, I was, like, allergic to tons of stuff when I was a kid, and then I just grew out of it. But horses were the most annoying one because I was on a horse farm. So I would ride a little bit, but I was never that good at it, Mm -hmm. Um, and I never, like— cared enough. I was like an indoor kid pretty much. Yeah. But then my outdoor version of it was like, I would want to set my Ninja Turtles up in a tree as if it was a tree. For, you know what I mean? So right. it was less going around and riding. And I'm also <clears> exceptionally <throat> non-competitive. I, I just am not competitive. Yeah. And a big part of like horse riding was like, you go do these horse shows. Right. I was right. like, this is, I don't like this. This is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you <get> a ribbon <laughs> for like bouncing properly for the right amount of time. Right. Like, just, I don't even... <laughs>
3: is unappealing. <laughs> I rode my first horse only like 5 years ago. Yeah. and then I've only ridden once since then. And it, this is like walking through like yes. a winery type of yeah. thing. And that's
1: kind of that I think that's nice. Oh, that's lovely. They they are I think it's kind of interesting that they have such a, like a, like the American mystique around horses and people yeah. bond with them because they're also a lot of horses are so inbred like uh, that they are just the dumbest things. Yeah. Like people are like they're they're so soulful but a good, <laughs> a good amount of horses are like big, dumb dogs yeah. that like get scared by everything. You clap yeah. and they'll just like freak the fuck out. Right. Like that doesn't seem like this human soul in a big body. That right. feels like a big, dumb animal. Right. As they are.
3: It still cracks me up that we use horsepower as the... Yeah, The reigning unit. Had to make sense when it was like four. And you're like, <laughs> wow, four horses. And now you're like, yeah. I, right.
1: 60 horses at a certain point is just going to trip up each other. Yeah. That's <laughs> going to be – it's a bell curve of
3: of what horses can do. So you were an indoor kid. I imagine – I always like to talk to people about sort of their formative movie years. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have siblings and stuff? Or you I have, I have a sister uh-huh. who's significantly younger than me. She's five and a half years younger than okay. me, which is like
1: just enough to not – Really, like, I wasn't old enough to take care of her, but we weren't ever, like, right. really ever at the same school or uh-huh. anything. Uh, so, so, like, we in a lot. We had a good relationship, but it w- it wasn't ever—we had no interest in common at any point.
3: Right. So, who was—I'm um, always interested in who was, like, where people get their culture from. Yeah. Like, who was feeding you, in if anyone? It, early on, like, going to a movie was a huge treat.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was probably—and my mom never really liked going out to movies or anything, and every now and then my dad would. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can remember him doing one of those, they would do like those Columbia House, but for VHSs. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, And I can remember him doing that one point and getting like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh wow. I'm trying to remember what else there would have been. Um, But it was like every now and then there would be, I think Bad News Bears was one of them. Oh God, Uh, so great. And it was like those sorts of things. I remember watching that, but I don't know, I got really into movies in like high school, but before then, before I moved, to Rhode Island, it was, like, the movies I can remember watching besides, like, big di- – like, yeah, of course, The Little Mermaid was mm-hmm. – I, as a, as a kid, became obsessed with Back to the Beach. Have you ever seen Back to the Beach? No. In retrospect, I, sh- I haven't watched it in years. We, uh, uh, It is – a, oh, wait, I think I know. Was it the, like, Annette Funicello yes, throwback? Yes, in the 80s. It, it's yeah. almost, <laughs> I know what you're Not quite, about. but it's almost what Wet Hot was to, like, the 80s camp movies, <laughs> to Beach Blanket Bingo, but without it being, like, right. David Wayne and Showalter. So, right. it is there are jokes, but it's not, you know, there are jokes. Right. But, like, Pee Wee Herman shows up and sings the bird, like, bird, 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 bird is oh, the word wow. And, like, Fishbone and Annette Funicello do a song called Jamaican Skull, which is— Fishbone. Yeah, it, it is really— Really, something They filmed it, you know, uh, uh, I think, not far from here, but the – it is – I would rent it all the time, and, like, it's this weird camp uh-huh. movie that as an adult, <laughs> I was like, hey, how did I find that? Yeah. And why – and my poor parents. Right. Like, that's all
3: that I would watch. Well, they were probably into the original Beach Blanket bingo stuff.
1: I don't think they were.
3: No? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think they were
1: just like, fuck, our kid –
3: Found this movie that he is
1: referencing movies he's never heard of and oh, he's, he's weird. never and he's will watch. allergic to horses yeah, he just sits inside
3: <laughs> watches this, and doesn't finish super mario brothers that's all he does um so you were kind of in charge of your own cultural consumption probably
1: yeah it was it was very i was i was like a quiet and shy kid. It was a long time before I kind of like like came out of a shell mm-hmm. and and i i would you know, uh, uh, watch a decent amount of TV, play a decent amount of video games, do a lot of like, uh, like drawing and playing with like action figures. A lot of uh, yeah, uh, like uh, uh I, I I didn't have a ton of friends, so I would like read like the old Marvel role playing game books, uh-huh. but not ever be able to play it because there's no one to play it with, <laughs> like that sort of stuff. And then with movies, my parents were always pr- the only movies I can remember being told I couldn't see were. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and then later Terminator 2. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Indiana Jones I makes sense. It did burn into my kid brain. I was like, this must be the scariest movie right. ever. And then I saw it, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I guess at the age, yeah, it was right to be like, hey, some of that's largely stuff. about child slavery, and then right. someone's heart gets pulled out. <laughs> uh, but then Terminator 2 was weird. I don't know why my parents or my mom was like, right. you can't see this one. And I, I did at a sleepover. Right. But that was like the only one I can really remember being like, this might be too violent. But uh-huh. then I would like that was the only one so that faded away very very fast.
3: Well, when did you get into performing as a shy kid? Uh I can there was a uh like a
1: every year in my the second elementary school I went to. So I went to this school in 4th and 5th grade and they would do every year like this sort of like themed show. Mm-hmm. And one year and like everyone would do it. Uh and one year the theme was uh I, I want to say space. I think it was space because there was like we sang Age of uh, Age of Aquarius and, right. like, there's, like, a dance to uh, Starman by Bowie. Oh, wow. So I think it was space. But in that, and they dress all the kids up and because Age of Aquarius, all the kids dress like hippies. And, like, I guess I get like, <laughs> really into it to the point where people are like, who is that kid in the wig who's, like, really excited about it? And it was me. Wow. And it, like, surprised all the teachers because I was just this quiet, little, nerdy uh-huh. kid. Uh, and then I started doing plays and I did plays in middle school and then I started doing improv in high school when I moved to Rhode Island and, and like those plays, like those middle school plays, which I'm sure were just god awful, w- kind of helped me. That That's how I sort of learned how to perform. And I still think in a lot of ways, like on stage is the easiest place to be. It yeah. is, it's very, it's still much easier for me to even like introducing a show or something. There's still like a element where like, this is way easier than just initiating a conversation with him. Right.
3: What uh so were you like legit acting in plays? Were you were they like dramas and stuff like that? No, yeah, legit it? acting would be generous.
1: Uh like in in high school like we did inherit the wind, yeah. you know, like so like the high school sort of stuff uh-huh. and I'm, I'm sure I took it very seriously. Uh like we did uh the pajama game and inexplicably we did Camelot, which is ambitious <laughs> for a high school production. Yeah. Um and then in in college I, I did some like quote unquote like real plays, and but then I think also it was like, oh, I think comedy is my yeah. thing, improv and sketch are my thing.
3: Uh, so what does imp- high school improv look like? Uh, whose line is it anyway? Oh, uh, like, really? With squeaky voice 16 year olds. Yeah,
1: I, I moved and when i was uh i guess i was 16 so when my mom got remarried we moved to Rhode Island uh-huh. from New Hampshire and i went to this like artsy fartsy kind of like private school uh-huh. um and i coming from a public school and again i was i was still very shy but like i still this a couple kids like on the second day these basically theater kids were like Oh hey, you should come and do this improv club with us. Mm. Like there, it was very nice of them just to be like, hey, this kid is new. Right. Come do this thing. And then a bunch of them were like my friends all the way through. And I, I did that throughout uh high school and then into college. Um and I'd seen Who's Lines Anyway, and I'd seen some live improv and I liked it. So right. I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, I'll try that. Um, I would love to have a tape of yeah that. Um it was it was a club. Like I think in the first year, like you didn't really perform, you were just like Go do improv in this uh-huh. basement room. So almost like training, kind of. But I wasn't even like no notes. It's just this is a fun thing to right. do. So it was like there was, It wasn't even really about performing. It was just sort of like we like this thing. Well, let's do it and probably do it badly without even like an eye to getting better. Just sort of yeah. a, a purely just to do this thing almost as a social element, which is yeah. which was very like I haven't actually thought about that in a little while. Like how unusual that is. Yeah, I, I think that's. Kind of interesting and kind of it was it
3: was cool to do because also then there there was no real being bad at it because who, right. who the fuck cares? When did you first start? Like uh, when did it get serious for you? As far as like, hey, I really want to like start something.
1: Late in college. Is that, is that where you met the guys? Uh, yeah, I met Alex Berg and Todd Fasten. We all went to Vassar College together. Okay. And we all did improv together and we uh-huh. did some sketch together and that sort of stuff. And I was a history major. I was going to be a theater major. And then I took like a semester's worth of classes. And I was like, a lot of these people I can't spend four years with. They're mm-hmm. so serious. Yeah. Um, Like just no humor or joy. So I was like, this is going to make me not want to do this at all. So I, I switched to history, which... I'd been thinking about anyways. Uh, And then I would do sketch and improv and we would perform. And at Vassar, if you've ever been to Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, it is, it's a little bit nicer now. But when we were there in the early 2000s, I mean, like it was a mill town. Uh Everyone went south and it just remained. And it was like, parts of it were like burned out. It was like not a great place. So people at at the college just stayed on campus. Right. Uh, So there wasn't a lot to do outside. So people would just happily come and 40s and drink at this college. We were the only improv team and they would come and watch. Wow. And so we would do it there and started to get like uh, good is probably too generous, but like confident, uh-huh. you know? Um, and then my my junior year, a friend that we performed with kind of convinced me and Berg to move out here and be uh-huh. like, well, let's do like improv and sketch and write and see if we can do something. And I had never thought about it here being LA. And so
3: uh, we did. Uh, now, was that like a did you always want to have career aspirations in the industry? No, I, I would have probably, were
1: it not for that conversation, I probably would have moved to New York after college, and uh-huh. I probably would have just like made my way into more schooling. I probably would have followed history because I do love, that. really, yeah. Um, and I don't know where that would have gone. I didn't have any like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer, probably right, a lawyer, but I would have been this. I probably would have been exceptionally happy teaching history. That probably yeah. would have
3: thrilled me um my parents were both teachers and I always sort of had that bug I think yeah my mom is a
1: teacher of like little kids but Uh it just seems that seems fulfilling to me um so I probably would have stumbled that way I I I think I I thought about it but I honestly don't think I could have ever done it I I think I I just didn't think that was like I didn't think I was ever going to be like good enough or even if I was like how'd you do, it's impossible, at at least for me, to be at 21 being like, and then you go and you make things and people pay you to be, that seems crazy to me. Uh, So you guys have been performing together, the three of you, for how long now? Uh,
3: Probably since, I think all three of us together since 2001. Wow. Long time, so college. Well, that explains a lot. Yes. Because, man, I mean, I haven't seen the most improv in the world. Uh, I've seen enough, though, to know that, you're, you guys, is like some of the best shit I've ever oh, seen. Thank you. It's just, it was so like, it was just so tight and like, uh, so rarely do you feel that, that one brain thing coming from multiple people.
1: Yeah. We know, I think, you know, knowing each other for as long as we do, uh, is, is very helpful. Yeah. We can kind of be birds of a feather. And also there's, I think, uh, 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 there's an element of like when you know people that well that mm-hmm. like you can, hey, there's just no, there's never gonna be a sense of panic because right. I, I, I trust Berg and Todd to. We're never, it's not gonna fall apart. Right, it, it might not be the best show we've ever done, but right. we can find it, we can fix it. Uh-huh. Um, and like that is, I, I think all those like high school and college shows mm-hmm. helped me when I moved out here in my early twenties just to all three of us to have like a certain level of confidence in like well I think this is funny so I want to do this thing. Yeah. Um and if other people don't think it's funny that's okay. Yeah. And, and I think that that is something that it takes a while to learn and I think I was lucky to learn it
3: early. Are you guys at the point now where you um I mean I imagine after that many years together there's got to be some like not messing with each other but like sort of like, yeah. you, you, it can't get stale, so, like, you, you are you pushing each other as we, a threesome? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, I'm sure we
1: fall into, like, ruts, and I'm sure there's stuff like, oh, Convoy's doing that again. But, uh, like, I think all three of us are probably, each individually, our own individual worst critics. Mm-hmm. And I think we all get – if we start to get bored, we'll have conversations about it, and we'll go, <coughs> yeah, you know what? This is, like – let's try to mix it up in this way. Sometimes just in like real like improv in the weedsy ways. And sometimes Uh a few years ago now, but we we do our show every week at UCB and uh, we're like, well, let's just once a month do this entirely different thing. Our show is normally like very fast and like lots of scenes. So once a month we do a show that's just the whole show is one scene. Yeah, Um, And like that, We were in like a little bit of a rut that moment that like bumped us out of it, just
3: doing something new. that's cool. And I I think- Like push each other and- Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I also think like none of us are quote unquote successful, which I think also helps because like this things we can't- Fully coast on sometimes very easy when you're a famous person or like people are like yeah I fucking no matter what you
3: do right we're gonna
1: reward it yeah uh, and what a, that that's not even a, like coming on the, on the people that's just what a siren song yeah, yeah if you know something's gonna work. It's real fucking hard not to do it. Yeah, you guys uh, have a good following here, though. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, like the. It, 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 I feel like an improv nerd world. Yeah, here in LA, <laughs> people people probably, <laughs> I, I
3: would hope, like us. Yeah. a lot of respect for Convoy in the improv nerd yeah, world. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about Children's Hospital, which mm-hmm. um, you've directed. That's right. Uh, quite quite a bit, right? Or uh,
1: yeah, the last two seasons. Uh, like so, like I did. I think six episodes in total. Uh-huh. Like yeah.
3: Just one of my oh, yeah. favorite shows. Yes. And um, like, wh- when did you start directing? How did that come about?
1: Uh, that came about very accidentally. I got hired by Funnier Die mm-hmm. um, as a writer because of an improv, because whoever hired me saw improv shows I was in, which I mm-hmm. think is a weird thing to assume. Well, you can probably write, but it was also like, <laughs> f- whatever. Uh, at that point, Funnier Die, there was no structure to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was just like, rooms where people, like, made web videos. And it was in that right. moment where it was still, like, what? An actual famous person did a video on the internet. Right, like, so was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. that's how Funny or Die worked. Uh, and because of that, there was no structure whatsoever. And when I got hired on, I got hired as a writer. And then, like, within a week, I was like, oh, nothing will ever get made that I write unless I direct it. Right. Because everyone's just kind of on their own there. So you just got to, like, be your own advocate. Yep. So I just started, like, being like, okay, this will be my me teaching myself how to do this thing. Uh Uh, And, like, I'd shot, like, little sketches on my own that that looked like garbage and stuff. And so I started doing that um, there uh, and was there for three years. And then over that amount of time, like, I... I, The the way I was able to kind of, like, jump out of Fun your Die and start doing, like... Yeah, stuff like NTSF and Children's Hospital was basically I had done some shorts with Paul Shear, uh-huh. um, and then oh he, I had Paul in here yeah, last year. He's great. He's, he's awesome. I see. Nice. He, he really really helped me by bringing me over to work on uh, myself and Nick Weiger to work on his show that he used to have called NTSF, which yeah. is like a uh, like cop procedural kind of spoof. And so I, I wrote a couple of those and then directed a couple of those in its in its last season. And then you know that's a very small like. Children's Hospital and NTSF and, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Hot Wives and all those shows are all very – a lot of similar faces right. and people involved. Yeah. Uh, and so that's sort of like how I, I got into into that. Now, did you write any Children's Hospital or, or is that scripted? Yeah, that's scripted. It is? Yeah, and okay. it's pretty like uh, – like obviously you have like Ken Marino or some of the – it's going to be like, he's, oh, yeah, you beat
3: it? Great. Then we're going to go with that. Ken's my hero. Yeah, he's uh, very funny. I've asked him four times to be on the show – through His people, yeah. and uh, it, it's sort of like my annual plea. I'm like, yeah. hey, it's me again. Um, well, not annual, I guess, because I haven't been doing this that long. I guess, <laughs> by annual plea. Sure. Hey, it's Chuck again. And they're like, oh, hey, Chuck. Uh, you know, and he, they're like, he wants to do it, but yeah. like, it just hasn't worked out for yeah. one reason or another. He's great. He intimidated the hell out of me. So, oh, my the He's first just... season I
1: had done. Like, I weirdly just through different ways have, like, met different members of the state now, like, watching the yeah. state when I was growing up, which is, which is great. But, like, totally. Ken, for some reason, just, like, his energy is so, he's got big energy. Yeah. And, like, it intimidated me so much. And then from working with him on shows, it's like, oh, he's really nice. He's, like, being very nice and generous. I no, was just, that's good to know. Like, like, spooked of him.
3: Yeah. Um, he's one of the guys that, like, uh, where you're talking about, like, anything that someone says is funny. Yeah. Like, I can't. Nothing he does doesn't just slay me.
1: Well, he's also, part of it is, I, I think children's works. And like, like I, I I can take literally zero credit for it because it, it worked before me and it continued to work while I was there. But what children, is like, <clears throat> uh, in in the kindest way, so many of the jokes are so dumb. Oh, it's the best dumb show. <laughs> the cast is so good. Yeah. Everyone on that cast uh-huh. is an incredible actor. Yeah. And none of them play it anything besides the fact that they're incredible actors so yeah. like you know ken is a great actor and lake obviously is a great and aaron and and, and cordry yeah are all so good that megan Mullally. i mean yeah are you they, kidding me? they just throw the hubel that they, they all throw themselves yeah. into little... these things and <laughs> it makes it work so well because yeah. it, it doesn't it's winky but it never feels like Ah, we just fucking like made this thing. Yeah, you know, it always feels like we took this seriously, even yeah. though it was insane schedules and no one's like making a ton of money and everything. And it started as a web series just during the strike. Oh yeah, we were just like, ah, let's make a thing. Yeah, and then it turned into something where it is they could get away with it being like honestly half as good, and people would still be like, I
3: love it. Yeah, and it's, it's. I think it's just it was like I'm so happy I got to work on it. Uh, so good, and there, there's something about that 15 minute yeah uh, show length. That they – it's just the amount of jokes you guys fit in and and arcs, like story arcs. It was just like as as a writer, it's really like super impressive to see.
1: It was really – one of the episodes I got to do uh, in the last season uh, uh, was like called Psy Gets Tenure. Uh, and it was Psy <laughs> Gets Tenure, which I doesn't make any episode. sense at a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and like what's going on in that episode is oh. – it's It feels like an hour long because uh-huh. uh, Henry Winkler gets tenure, so he invents a jetpack. Right. Meanwhile, uh, uh, um, uh, Rob Hubel has stolen a DJ gig from Cordry somehow, and his life is spiraling out. And Megan Mullally is stuck on the go-go pedestal right. like everyone's forgotten about her, and she has to like hunt rats for food. And it's 12 minutes long. It's nuts. And it's so insane. Yeah. I don't remember who wrote that one, but the fact that like it all – worked yeah. and clicked. And then there's still bonk room for bonkers side jokes. Uh-huh. Like that just come out of nowhere. It's not all peace moving. Like, right, like they, had, right. they had that down to a I think to like a real science on on that show by that last season. Was
3: that Cordry's baby to begin with? Cordry and Wayne, I think, and, okay. and John
1: Stern is one of the producers. Yeah, Yeah, like that they, they all were in during that uh uh during that writer's strike when they were just like, We're gonna just make this thing for us. Right. Like that's that's uh uh was it in the strike, I forget. But um that was the they're all there sort of thing.
3: I think that spirit kinda carried through where like you know it's a show where no one's getting rich on it. Yeah. And you know, some of these people are big stars. And uh like legends, Henry Winkler, yeah. for God's sakes, and it, you could just sense the the fun yeah. and the sense of play,
1: and because there, there would be no point if you didn't want to be there. Why would you do this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's sometimes it'd be like, that's hey, well, because it. you're making a gazillion dollars. <laughs> right. That's why you're here. Yeah, and yeah. That, this was like honestly long days, uh-huh. and typically, like it was a very ambitious show. Rushed, yeah, and it usually looked like a million bucks. It yeah, was great. It looked awesome. Um, Where do I you guys get, shoot that? Uh, The first three seasons before I was involved, it was at the Scrubs Hospital. Okay. Then they tore the Scrubs Hospital down. Maybe it was the first three or four. Then there's a season that, like, is basically a mash play where Uh they're working out of, like, tents. Yeah, yeah. uh Uh, And then the fifth season, we were in a uh, plastics, like, factory. Uh Uh-huh. In Simi Valley, I think. And then the last season, it was in this, like, building, this, like, beautiful brutalist building that you drive by on the 101 that used to be the sun building. Now uh-huh. I don't know what's there. And they would just build, build these sets on the inside of spaces that had no business looking that good. And it, right. And I think also because it was such a parody of – of specifically of these TV shows, uh-huh. those TV shows don't look real. They never look like real hospitals. right? <laughs> uh, so it was helpful to then go, yeah. like, oh, well – I'm not bumping because yeah that I, I buy that as much as I buy Greys.
3: and It's so good. Um, what's it like? I mean, to, to walk on that set as the director, that's got to be pretty intimidating.
1: Uh, yeah, it was. It's helpful that like it was. It's all very nice. Yeah. people. It, it was intimidating, especially because a lot of those people are people that I I had watched and liked. Sure. You know, like like again the state David Wayne. And, yeah, and, man. and Ken, and also like Henry Winkler, which is right. insane. <laughs> directed Henry Winkler. Uh, but he is also so nice. Um, that it was like intimidating until you're there and then it, it's so fast right. that you're just doing it and you just- You don't of, have time
3: to be scared. <laughs> you, you just
1: kind of make decisions and go with it. Yeah. And I think because, you know, people are, are were like very like sort of like open and collaborative and everything, you like punch stuff up and people would like chime in. Uh, I was like, what about this? Uh, And I think like, that's how I like to work. I like to be super collaborative. Uh, And so that was very, very good. And like pretty quickly, you're like, oh, this is fun. I like this. Yeah, great. No problem. And it it was very similar to NTSF in how it was shot and Uh the type of show it was and and, like the speed and everything.
3: Yeah. That's awesome, man. Mm -hmm. Um, What are your ambitions for directing? (laughs) You know, I've always like, again, like I was a performer and then a writer and
1: uh, uh, a- as a director, it's always been like writing is more fun. Yeah, for me. Um, and so like the goal would be to get to sell something that I've written that I get to just make as well. Um, specifically, honestly, more in TV. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I was. I was just talking about this on another thing, but, like, I, like I did a low-budget movie that then just, like, disappeared from existence. Like you did. directed one? Uh-huh, yeah, that we shot in Vancouver, and then the company that produced it, like, everyone I know who worked there left while we were in post, uh-huh. and I, I don't even have a copy of it. Oh, uh, no. going to go on streaming everything. And so, like, that was interesting. It was very educational for me to just to do that and see how that was different than TV. Um, but I, ideally, it would be something that, like, Either I or me and Berg and Todd or something like that would, would create this. Like, oh, this is what we think is funny. Right. And then I can kind of see that all the way through. That would be my ideal. Because I've always – everything I've done so far has been like helping people uh-huh. make their thing. Right. Which is great. And I and I love that. Um, but it would be fun to have other people help me yeah. make my thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, TV or film? I, I think if, if you – I honestly think if you were like, hey, you can, you can do a season of a TV show or make a movie – I think I'd probably go TV show because I think I could. I, uh, this is, what, what am I trying to say here? I, I think I would have more. I'm more confident I could do that well, mm, right? Okay. Like I think I could probably do a good movie if I. If I. I, I hope I can, uh-huh. but I think I could see more likely the the path to being like, hey, that was a yeah uh, a, a good TV show. I also think maybe part of that is I can just I, I feel like the chances of anybody seeing any given movie that is made is yeah. so low. Yeah. Unless it's, uh, you know, unless Captain America's doing something.
3: Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's like it's never been a better time as far as, like, there's so much out there, but it's also the hardest time so to hard get to find. anything seen. And there's, like, great stuff out there, too. There obviously garbage, and there's
1: obviously great yeah. stuff, just like forever. Uh, but I don't know how you— I, I I honestly have no idea how you get people to see a movie that isn't right. Bit, like even like I saw Booksmart. Booksmart's great. Yeah. It's super super fun. Uh, and people talked about it and it was good. And it like didn't make a ton of money. You uh-huh. know, what I mean? like I. But to me, it was like oh, Booksmart should have been a, a big old hit. Yeah. You know. And every now and then you find like. For whatever reason John Wick has become a right. you know, a whole cultural <laughs> phenomenon because it's really well done. I was like, That oh well it happens. Yeah. Where no one knows what John Wick, what the fuck is this? And yeah. then I was like, It's good. And, and like, that wasn't it.
3: very uh I mean, budget wise for what it was. It couldn't have been that yeah. first movie was not a very good like, budget. And like I remember
1: the ads being like this looks like everything. Yeah. You know, this,
3: why, why would I?
1: Okay, I like Canary's fine, but I'm not going to rush out. And right. then you started hearing about how good it was. And, yeah. And then now we, we got a fourth one coming.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, just saw the the first two. Um, I was very late. So I just saw those like a month ago. Yeah. And That's I finally, fun. I was like, all right, I'll watch the John Wick movies. Yeah. And I was like, these are fucking great. Yeah. You think it's going <laughs> to so be so much fun. I think because I, I
1: remember assuming when people were talking about it, I was like, oh, this is the way, <laughs> like, uh, uh, I'm not knocking fast in the furious, but the way people love that and talk about that, right. those are basically Marvel movies and they're big and silly and fun. Yeah. And then the, the, the craft to the John Wick movies uh-huh. is like insane. Like there, yeah. there's a, did you see the third one? Not yet. There is a, there is a knife fight that is very early on that is like Buster Keaton. Like uh-huh. it is just, they, keep heightening it without ever tipping over. Right. And you're just sort of like, "That's I don't understand how you craft and plan something, especially at the speed it's going yeah. on. Um, Those it, are stunt guys, right? It's like, yeah, it's like- Stunt coordinators? It's all stunt. It's dudes who that, I mean, I'm sure they boarded out, which is why the the stories make- no sense. Yeah, <laughs> like you don't see John Wick for the yeah. You know, it's he's got to do this lines. thing, and yeah. you're like, okay, yeah. And then he does it, yeah. And then like the end, right? With a cliffhanger, yeah. Uh, and it works; it's great. Because do I want a bunch of yeah. that? It's like no. It's like some fun world building, amazing fighting and, and stunts and stuff. But I don't need to be like, yeah, oh, like yeah, okay. His dog died, and he is sad. Yeah, that's
3: all you Full need to stop. know. Full uh-huh. stop. Let's not mix <laughs> it up. <laughs> I did think all the world building that was something that surprised me that I did not know was was a part of that um and it's just like yeah. I, I, that's one of the coolest parts of it to me yeah. they it's do like a bunch of in the third one too yeah i heard it just gets even sort of deeper yeah. and deeper
1: and for some reason sometimes that would annoy me where i'm like yeah you're on ass but and this time, i'm like yeah i think i think we're all having fun like yeah. i think everybody <laughs> knows exactly what's going on and no one's being like here's what john wick is saying about the world i think right. they're being like what's the most fun It's it's
3: it's yeah it's, it was almost one of those movies where afterward like you and your friends look at each other and you're like that, that was great, right? Like, who's the first one that's going to admit that we fucking love that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the fact that the movie just goes like uh – uh it, all the world building, it presents like you already know it. Right. And I love that. Where yeah. there's times you're like, oh, okay. And if you make a swear, you have to cut your thumb on this thing and hand right. over this pendant. <laughs> and they do it like, you obviously, this is something explained. all people know. You, you uh-huh. all know this. We don't want to waste time explaining it. So anyway, here he did the thing. And you're like, wait, yeah. wait, wait. What is the, You've
3: never mentioned that before. What is this? And you're yeah. like, sure, I guess. Okay. Right. It's like, did I fall asleep or is that?
0: Yeah. Here's the thing.
3: Well, let's talk about Out of Sight. Great. Unless uh, – I think the entryway here, maybe we should chat about Soderbergh for a minute. Yeah. Um, I grew up uh, – I'm older than you, so I, I, I was like – I saw Sex, Lies, and Videotape when it came out. Yep. And King of the Hill and Kafka and, like, all these early – the underneath, which is just so great and, yeah. like, criminally underseen. And he was, like, the little – the indie guy. Yeah. And then I was looking at his filmography today. He did all those early films, uh Schizophilus, which mm-hmm. is just crazy, and then Grey's Anatomy. And then all of a sudden, he explodes with uh maybe one of the best like five movie runs. It's insane that run. Out of sight, the Limey, which is very, very I can't good. wait for somebody to pick the Limey, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Uh Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, and then Ocean's Eleven.
1: Yeah. I, I think that is. I he is. And uh, this was
3: within like eight years it's or something. So crazy. fast, and
1: yeah. it's like also at a time when like the industry was starting to change because it's he's, he's straddling 2000 there. It's so the yeah. late 90s into the early 2000s, uh-huh. and those movies are so good, and he is, but he he he's one of those directors where like when it doesn't work. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It doesn't work because he wasn't trying something. You know, it, 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 it doesn't work, but there's an interesting attempt there. Right. And like he is so – I I – He's never phoning it in. He's never phoning it. He's always trying something. Mm-hmm. And I would argue in a like, for the most part, like deeply non-pretentious way. Yeah. You know, like it's not that sort of like – well, hell, we we only did it with, like we only used the microphones available in 1940. Like, right? <laughs> okay, I don't care. Uh, it, but it's always something in the actual final film that he's that he's trying to do, even yeah. when he's breaking down in these weird like, what is a movie? I'm gonna make this thing. We have to go on an app and everything. Right? Like, I I just he I find him fascinating. And I think Out of Sight is like it, it is just I, I I think it's perfect. Yeah. In how like
3: fresh it feels, but also yeah. being like, yeah, it's it's a it's a cops and robbers story. Yeah, it's a cops and robbers story. Um, but it's also like the the, the relationship, like that's oh. the undercurrent of the film. Yeah, is this uh super hot relationship? Incredible. It's just like one of the most like scintillating scenes in movie history. Is that well, a couple of scenes, the trunk scene. Yeah and then the the then the, the bar. bar scene yeah.
1: and i i think like those scenes are you know like uh it's been said a million times but the bar scene is like like the you learn how to edit just watch this for the yeah. rest of your life it's it's so beautifully
3: done yeah the way he crawled and he was he was he editing his stuff then or uh i Forget if he was at that point or if he had. So, I, I he, I, he used fake names, right? And he like yeah. shot his own movies and edited his own so movies. So, like, so
1: I've always lost track of like who's a real person and who's just also Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I think there was, I, I think he had an editor who came up with the cross cut, like, I think there were certain things uh-huh. there. Um, but like, those, uh, there, there's a, So many things about the movie that I love that I I stumble over my words. But, like, those two scenes in particular, Mm -hmm. which are, I think, fucking incredible, um, and they each – they're a movie apart, beginning and end, and they make each other work in a way that is incredible, where that first trunk scene – uh he uh if someone hasn't seen it, he's breaking out of prison. Mm-hmm. Uh him being Jack Foley's played by George Clooney, uh, and his buddy's picking him up. Uh and just by a fluke, uh, uh Marshall is there. Um Karen Sisko, uh, played by Jennifer Lopez, who is great. She's great. I mean, this was pre-J-Lo. This yeah. is when she was Jennifer Lopez. She is
3: so good in it. Yeah, and proof that when she has the material, yep. she's really, really great.
1: Uh, and she accidentally shows up, sees them breaking out, pulls a gun, um, and one thing like that, they grab her and put her in a trunk and with him hiding out. So yeah. they're, like, kind of crammed together like in this trunk. Like, spooning each other. Yeah. And there's a way in which this is— gross because it's played romantic and it's mm-hmm. played sexy and be yeah. like hey this dude just grabbed a woman and shoved <laughs> her in the trunk and we're trying to be like how sexy <laughs> like okay so that could be troubling and then that second scene comes at the bar later yeah where they meet up at this bar and for the first half of the scene they're they're Kind of doing this role play thing,
3: pretending to be someone else because she's a cop and yeah. he's a bank robber. Very kind of old school movie making. Yeah, like it felt like Bogey and Bacall or something. And
1: it just writes the power. Like, like it just anything about that trunk scene. You are like, yeah. no,
3: this is mutual and this is real. And like, yeah. this is
1: this isn't. She honestly wasn't ever in danger. Yeah, like I, I just think it's so smart the way they do that. And in that first scene too, the way it's shot is they're in the trunk. There is not. The, you don't get a ton of angles, yeah. so they're got all this red light yeah, it's just that above red light. them, and it just holds. Uh-huh. And then you go to that bar scene, and it's like uh, uh, she's sitting there. Um, they've kind of fallen in love in love from afar, and these like douchebags keep hitting
3: on her. That the, which that part is great it's too, very funny. <laughs> and she dismisses
1: them one by one. <laughs> yeah. And again, she's incredible. And then he comes up uh, and pretends to be like a uh-huh. douchebag, and she plays along. And they have this whole conversation, and it's held in this like two. Two shot um, against the snow falling outside this window.
3: So beautiful. And it's so
1: beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and like those, like the, just the confidence to hold yeah. what he holds. Uh, also with two, honestly, like, Untested actors.
3: Yeah, I mean— Even you, Clooney. You kind of forget. This is 98, and I read the Ebert review, and it said something about, like, you know, forget ER. Like, yeah. this is his—like, he's going to be a movie star.
1: Soderbergh made—I think, single-handedly made George Clooney a movie star.
3: Yeah, and he was—I uh, didn't know that, but he was attached to this film when the property came to Soderbergh, and he—Soderbergh was kind of like, I don't know, man, I, I'm not sure about this. And apparently, like, the head of the studio said, hey, hey, kid, listen. Yeah. Opportunities like this are not going to come your way a lot. Like, you really need to think about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: It's so like that is. One of the many things I think is great about Soberg is, like, his ability to work with actors. Because, mm-hmm. like, until that moment, like, Clooney is a TV actor. <clears throat> yeah. Because um, I think he had done One Fine Day before. Uh, a fun little rom-com with Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, right, right, right. Um, but he's uh, he's in ER mode. Yeah. You know, and he's, like, kind of he, – he's filming for a, a small screen.
3: Yeah, a little, a little sort of mid to late 30s. Yeah. Uh, and, and just this man. <laughs> and then he does this,
1: and you're like – and uh, – oh, again, like, I get excited – like Soderbergh made George Clooney a loser. Jack Foley is a loser.
3: He is. And uh, he's kind of doofy. Like in the trunk scene, it's 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 kind of cute because she's the one that knows its network. Yeah. And she's the one that knows is Peter Finch. Yep. And she knows that he got the quote wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna take any more of your shit. Yeah. And she kinda laughs at him. And she's just been thrown in a trunk with this yeah. this like you know, escape She knows convict. she's got a gun that just out of reach that she's about to grab. Right. Like there's so
1: much going on there. Yeah. And he's, he plays a loser without – a lot of times when movie stars play losers, mm-hmm. you get the vibe of like, <laughs> can you believe if people didn't like me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in this, I like – I believe that George Clooney – is a fuck up. Yes. Um, he's also around bigger fuck ups. Steve Zahn is so funny oh in this God. movie, and and getting uh, started on Glenn. It's Glenn is incre- <laughs> Like it is so good. Oh man, I'm just jumping around.
3: Well, the, the 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 cast in this movie is just ridiculous. Yeah. Like you've got Farina, mm-hmm. you've got Michael Keaton in a in playing a, the same role he played yeah, in Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown. They are in the same universe. <laughs> Let me ask you. You got one that says undercover. <laughs> It's Incredible, <laughs> so many great lines. Yeah. Um, but then you have Ving, Ryan, uh, Ving Rhames. you mm-hmm. have Steve Zahn, mm-hmm. Cheadle, got Cheadle, like Max Maximum Cheadle, yeah. in this movie, and yeah. then just like throw in Albert, Albert Brooks, Brooks for Christ's sake, yeah,
1: it's so <laughs> insane. And it is like, I'm also a I think I saw this in high school and I saw it twice in the theaters, uh-huh. and I think I saw, I saw it because I, I even I've always really loved Elmore Leonard's books, yeah. And this is based on it, as is Jackie Brown, which is based on a book called Rum Punch. Right. Um, and those are my two favorite uh, uh, adaptations, two of the only good ones. The only other like good ones are the show Justified and, and Get Shorty is a different thing, but it works. Yeah, um,
3: Get Shorty is one it's of my
1: very fun. top tens. Yeah. Um, but like th- th- this – that that vibe of – Criminal criminals are dumb. There's that. Yeah, I forget the exact quote, but that Omar Lane thing of being like, no one becomes a criminal if you're smart. Like, right? right? Like, so he writes criminals as believably stupid, uh-huh. and that's normally what adaptations of his stuff fuck up. They make them goofball central, you know. Yeah. Uh, and this, you believe everyone like the most cartoonish is Steve Zahn, and God, he's funny in it. <laughs> um, and they make the point of he has a horrifying scene. Steve Zahn. When, Steve's when own, he has to kill a guy, when Don Cheadle makes him kill yeah. somebody, and it is like tastefully done, and it's all on Zahn's face, and yeah. until then you're like, oh, he's the goofy stoner, and right. the scene happens, and you're like, oh, I'm I'm sympathetic now to this yeah. guy, and it's like it, the it, there's not a mo- like a frame of the movie I would change.
3: Yeah, I mean the the symp- sympathy for these characters, like you want, like Clooney is is a loser, but he's also kind of slick. Yeah like he walks that line perfectly like that first robbery yeah. where he walks in and he just kind of he robs it on a whim we find out yep later on after he leaves uh Ridley's place and mm-hmm. doesn't you know gets offered the security guard job and then just fucking decides to go in there and rob that bank with nothing, nothing. Yeah.
1: And I think there's a thing in the book where, like, he's robbed all these banks, but he's never used a gun. Like, I think that's like his. Sh- I think in the yeah, book, well, that's he a kind sh- of says
3: something about yeah. that. Um, cause at the end, when he does use the gun, it's it's clearly the first time he's ever, like, shot someone. Yeah. And it's
1: so, and I mean, the, also the the climax of the movie is him trying to die. Yeah. He's trying to get her, he doesn't want to go back to prison. He's like this lifer and he doesn't want to be a loser and he would rather yeah. die.
3: Is that why he puts
1: the mask back on, you think? Yeah. To make it easier for to her? To make it easier for her. Yeah. To be like, because, and the, I, I think truly the, uh, Scott Frank wrote, I believe. Uh, yeah. And, and there's a thing in that where- I don't know – you can never tell really what comes from where, but it's a combination of script and, and directing mm-hmm. where there's these moments that happen throughout the movie where it freezes on a random frame. Yeah, great and, then mo- and it fades away and moves away. Like him throwing the tie. Yeah. Sometimes it's a time jump, but sometimes it's just a fra- freeze uh-huh. and it'll continue on. It happens during the bar scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, it just feels like a stylistic choice. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, we're being cute. And then in that final—in that scene where he pulls the mask down, mm-hmm. like, it all comes together where he says, no more timeouts. Right. Um, and they have that conversation in the bar, too, where he's like, well, let's just call timeout, and they sleep together. Right. And then they, they go their separate ways. But at the end, he says, no more timeouts. Yeah. Um, we just have to kind of keep living. And, like, that, that, that dialogue coming back and addressing why they had yeah. made this choice— I think is so good. Like you watch it again and you're like, oh, these are all these big moments in this person's life. Mm -hmm. Um, And now he's just going like, no, we don't don't get that. Now this is real. Like I I can't do this anymore. I think it's wonderful.
3: Yeah, there's another callback that I'd never realized before either is um, about the midway point. Uh, Ving Rhames says something about, uh, you know, you don't have a choice when you got a gun on you. And Clooney says, you still have a choice. Yeah, and that—that's like the the whole thing at the end, you know. Yeah, you still have a choice even when that gun's on you. It's,
1: yeah, it's to so, live or die basically. Yeah, and he makes that choice, and then again, she just shoots him in the leg because he's kind of a dope. He does not think he, he yeah. can't even think of there being this other choice, she shoots him in the leg and then sends him off to jail with Samuel Jackson doing a cameo as a guy who's really good at breaking out of (laughs) jail, which is like a fun, oh yeah, happy ending. Kind of the perfect ending. yeah, yeah. okay, we love it. Because she
3: had to do her job and she got to do her job and that's the one kind of cool thing about Karen Sisko is um, she had her time out, but she's still in pursuit of him and not, you know, they leave it sort of ambiguous, like is it because she loves him, but no, she's a federal marshal that's like good at her job. Yeah, and it's like she... Meanwhile, like, mixed in, too, with, like, all this real stuff,
1: there's... One of the hardest I've ever laughed in a movie, the point I can remember it now 20 years later, is when white boy Bob slips on a frozen <laughs> steak and shoots himself in the head. Oh, God. It is
3: the most- and Clooney's reaction sh-
1: afterwards. It is too. so fucking shocking because yeah. it's this big climactic thing and yeah. this, he's got this gun on him. He's like, this is where the climax happens. Uh-huh. And he slips on a frozen steak, yeah. falls and just shoots himself in the head. And they live in this beat of
3: looking at yeah. Clooney's face and yeah. the movie just continues on. That and, end is so violent too. And, yeah. and it's weird most like there's the, I mean, I guess there's a couple of scenes of violence, but the Steve's on thing is yeah. all off camera. Off camera. And so that end is kind of shocking when that gunplay starts. The only
1: other thing that I think really hints towards it, uh, and I think it's, again, a really smart choice, is uh, Cheadle shanks a guy in prison. Right. And it's pretty bad. Like yeah, the sound, yeah. like it's not gory, but the sound yeah. gets you. Uh, and it is... A way of going, okay, there's Vic Rames and there's Clooney and there's Zahn. Yeah. Snoopy's something different. Yeah. Um, And so then when we get to that end, Mm -hmm. they're doing that, like – it, it, we can sort of like – I think we buy that he's yeah. always been this way. But even yeah. though, he's also still funny. That There's that whole sequence with them just admiring the
3: suits and trying to figure out how to <laughs> open a, a safe, God. and it's very funny. <laughs> yeah, when they – I mean, it's funny. Like, I don't know anything about safes, but when you take one look at that safe and they're pointing their guns at it, you're like, there's no of way they're going to fucking blow that door off. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like someone that's going to ricochet off and kill one of them is what's going to happen. Yeah. And which I'm surprised cr- it didn't, actually. Yeah. He crushes the fish, too, which is also really gross.
1: Yeah. Like, that, that always stuck with me as being like, what a sociopathic thing to do to have a fish in a bag.
3: Yeah, but like, he's small time, though. Like, yeah. he even says early on, he says, when, uh, he said, when I came in here on credit card fraud, he's like, I wasn't very well respected. <laughs> yeah. He's like, but ever since I shanked that guy, yeah. he's like, my, my stock has gone up, basically. Yeah. My, my Dun and Broad Street. <laughs> yeah.
1: Because he had been known for throwing fights. Yeah, he that would was be his a boxer. Deal. Yeah, uh-huh. and then he'd throw
3: fights into the That just scene is so funny. That look on his face yeah. when he's boxing that yeah, guy. Yeah, he's kind of like, nudge. all right, now, like, you're going to hit me?
1: <laughs> it's also where, like, that movie, you can see some of the. Um, I, I love Ocean's Eleven. I. I my wife, and I, yeah, made, same. For the last few years, hosted a a similar show to this at UCB, where we would just talk to someone about a movie they love and then and then yeah, watch. Yeah, what it. show is that? It was that? It's called Required Viewing. This is it. we're actually wrapping it up because we got ten month old now. It's oh, uh, to you're get not doing it anymore. It's literally Sunday I never is the got the last to be on. one. I know. <laughs> I'm so sad. You, you messaged me. I was like, oh man, what well, horrible timing. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, we did uh, with uh, uh, Demi. Uh, uh, a Bay last month did oceans eleven uh-huh. um and like that in traffic, you can see the DNA that of the stuff he was working on yeah. in out uh, the site, like the color schemes uh-huh. of Miami versus Detroit. In out of sight, he yeah. just brings over the traffic to help you keep the different storylines straight. Yeah, for in sure. Miami is warm and orange, and uh-huh. Detroit is cold and blue. Um, and he does a lot of that. Um, and then some of that little like those editing. Tra- he goes nuts with that Notions Eleven. Yeah, like, all the wipes and the, the, that sort of thing, and it works really well. Um, but it feels like out of sight was we well, have real money to make a movie. Yep. And I can still do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's figure it out. Yeah. And then since then, every time he's had budget, he's been he's been extending and, and and playing with those ideas.
3: Yeah, I think one of the reasons Soderbergh has always just been one of my favorites is the um, just his range. Like he does all those indie films at the beginning, which were I was just such a fan. And uh, then Out of Sight was the first one. Where you know it was different, it was flashy, yeah. and it had style, and it had that that score is so great oh, yeah, the Dave Holmes and i score. was I was like, what is going on with Soderbergh? yeah um like wh- where's he headed from here, and then Aaron Brockovich comes out, which was just this like gut wrenching character piece, yeah, uh, and then like he comes back and does stuff like oceans and and traffic, which was just like yeah. holy shit, they're
1: all covering like, so, like
3: at the top of his game, and oceans eleven is
1: is I think a like, that is what, in like a just world, popcorn movies would be. Totally. Uh, understand? Like, it's the beautiful people being fun, and yeah. it's, it's a grown-up popcorn movie. And mm-hmm. I love – I really like Marvel movies. I like all this. You know, I'm not yeah. judging that, but it's
3: – When that's all you're getting. Yeah. yeah, and it shows you how hard it is to do it. Mm-hmm. Plenty
1: of people – like, there have been a shit ton of people trying to do their Ocean's <laughs> Eleven Cents, and they don't work. Yeah. Um, but that movie is just like – pure crowd pleasing you know and Aaron Brockovich is a different type of crowd pleasure right there's like yeah. more depth to it but it is still being like fuck yeah like you yeah. know we're gonna fix this uh, but then yeah, mixing with that we've got the limey which you're never oh, gonna be God. like oh and here's our tent pole yeah um, and even traffic which is a very like serious movie mm-hmm. like like Brockovich is serious but fun Oceans is just fun yeah um, but traffic is something different yeah uh, and then he's kind of continued in that. Like he did Logan Lucky last year, two years ago. You
3: know what, man? I liked Logan I Lucky. I liked Logan Lucky. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you, I, I wouldn't
1: <laughs> put it in, in the top five Soderbergh movies, no, but it was like, but
3: it was certainly worth watching. And
1: I, again, I think I was like, this is what these mid, I want more mid-budget movies like yeah. this where it's like, yeah, uh, like a heist at a racetrack. Like this is a great premise. There are things I don't like about it and things I really like about it.
3: Um. It's like when we were growing up, those were yeah. like, if you go back and look at any given week in the 1980s there were it, it was just flooded with so many of those. good movies like yeah. that
1: and like plenty of bad ones too but yeah. it's you you like by i i i i know what it is is cuz how, how are you going to sell that overseas how are you right. going to make 500 million dollars off of that Yep. um it's become so like uh yeah. yeah but there there are i mean like all i i try to when movies like that come out go see them mm-hmm. even if i'm like i might not like this because i i would like to i i would like to be able to see Endgame, and then the next week, right? Logan Lucky, or you know, fingers crossed, out of sight. You know, right. I, I want both of those things, or yeah. Booksmart, or,
3: or or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we didn't even mention Contagion, which is oh, I about So good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd totally forgotten about that movie. And we we uh, were recording a stuff you should know the other day, and it came up, and I was like, oh god, Contagion yeah. was so good. Yeah, so good. Um, I have a lot of my favorite lines in here, Great. and I don't want to just spin the show saying my favorite lines. Yeah, let's do it. But I'm going to pepper in yeah. some of them. But Steve's on. Uh, oh, I see. You guys are cynical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of my faves. It's he. It's one of the best. Like he's one of my favorite characters yeah. in in film history. Oh, probably is so Glenn. Funny. Glenn
1: <laughs> and just the the with the sunglasses. And the business he has – I think when you first meet him, maybe the second time you see him, when he's trying – he's like, yeah, I got some big lined up back north. And he's like making his way down the weights Uh, in the the workout (laughs) place because he can't get any of them up. Uh And it's just business. Yeah. It's just it's it's so funny. Yeah. And his just like that little drawl he does.
3: Oh, yeah. And it's like – you talk about the dumb criminals in this movie. I mean Steve Zahn is the dumbest of all of them. And I love the interplay between him and Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. How she's like, he's almost like a puppy to her. Yeah. She's not going to arrest him. It's just pity and just embarrassment. Yeah. And because she, she knows, like, this guy's uh, way more valuable. Yeah. To me, as someone I can just, like, milk information out of. And his last scene, the, the scene with her, just <laughs> in the, like— In the car? Yeah, it was
1: just like, <laughs> I already stole the car. How can I steal a car if I already stole it? Uh is so, so funny. And he's so upset because he murdered somebody. He I thinks know. he's going to get
3: murdered. Yeah. But
1: it's still, like, I don't—I truly watch that as, like, someone who, like— w- w- Writes and, and directs and wants to make stuff that I like as much as I like that. And you're yeah. kind of like, I don't know how you do it where you juggle those things. Right. Because I just – I don't, maybe I don't have the confidence in myself that, oh, I can do both these things. I have no idea yeah. how you make those things work so close to each other. Because in that same scene, Jennifer Lopez is dealing with the fact, that like, I might have to shoot this guy right. that, I, that I just spent the night with and uh-huh. that I am, like, falling in love with. Right. And they're in – it, Character-wise, they're in two different movies yeah. in their own heads, and they and she knows he has no idea, uh-huh. and it, the movie were oh, it's so great.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 like a, a bit of a magic trick, yeah. but it is Steven Soderbergh. Yes. Don't like uh, <laughs> be too hard on yourself. Uh, another great scene early on is the uh, the library scene mm-hmm. when with the fish when he's. Uh, he's shaking down Albert, Albert Brooks. Brooks's
2: character. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and the fish were like 2000 now $3000 yeah. and Brooks is just like and, you know, once George Clooney starts advising him, he's like, this is a dumbest shakedown. You should tell him to fuck off. And he's like, $500 for a pillow. And he's like, no, oh, that does seem a little high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So meek. And that scene, too, ends with, like, the guy in the cage banging to
1: let them know that yeah. security's coming. Uh-huh. Right after uh, uh, he hit uh, Snoopy's fa- buddy in the face with a huge book. Yeah. And they all just cluster around right. the book, and they're just reading through and be like, oh, yeah, sorry, we got all riled up. And well, this, there's
3: some really good prison shit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's really – and against while well, still, like – being he never drops the stakes yeah. while remaining fun. And that's what gets me is a lot of times it's like, oh man, this movie is just a, f- it's just a blast. Like Ocean's 11, is just a blast. Right. Um Or it's serious. And in this movie, it's like, I think I can do both.
3: And uh-huh. he did
1: it. Like yeah. that, that's that I, I love.
3: Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see the DNA of this in Ocean's, but Ocean's was just fun. Just fun. And this had a lot more going yeah, on,
1: which is not a knock on it. Like no, that's no, what they no. set out to do. And for it, it, it's a blast.
3: For sure. Uh, we didn't even mention when we were going over the uh, the cast, uh, the great, great Louis Guzman. Oh yes. Who doesn't have You me- <laughs> are mean is such a funny line read. That's what I have in yeah. here. You are mean. Yeah. And then, you know, when he uh he gets taken down and while he's getting handcuffed, he wants to know the secret to the salt in yeah. half. Uh, magic yeah. trick. Fake plays, legs?
1: Is it Keener? Is that? Yeah, Catherine yeah, Keener, Keener. of course.
3: Yeah. Another great, like, character yeah. actor. And she's in, like, two scenes. Yeah.
1: She's so good.
3: Yeah. Fake legs?
1: Yeah. I think one of my <laughs> favorite lines, uh, and is, like, the moment where you're like, I, I, w- she's <laughs> uh, uh, richly and gotten very successful. So good for her. But I wish this is where Jennifer Lopez is career sure. was she's trying to track them down. And she's trying to find Donchil, So she goes to like his friends. Yeah. And this dude always wears like this weird, like fireman jacket. Oh uh, yeah. And What's his name? Uh, Washington. Uh, uh, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Uh, his I, last name's Washington. Yeah. He's, um, he's she, great. And he's, he's the most threatening person. There. Yeah, for sure. And he, she sits down with him and he's all threat and he's basically being <laughs> like, um, like basically, basically saying, I want to fuck you yeah. and not, and like in a very gross way, and uh-huh. she's just like okay. And he's telling this long-winded story about his dead dog, about Tuffy. how these yeah, toughy <laughs> they should to get down on the street uh, on the floor and they used to tussle. Yeah. And then he like looks at her and is like, "You like to tussle? I bet you like the bone, like that sort of stuff." And she's like, right. "Okay." Uh, and she stands up to leave, and he grabs her. And she, like, in one move, pulls out this, like, baton, yeah. like, breaks his arm, knocks him down. Hits him, it, uh-huh. hits him in the eye. Hits him in the eye, yeah, yep. And has this line of, like, you want to tussle? We tussle. And then puts the uh, baton away and it freeze frames on yeah. her. And it is so cool. Like, she looks, like, oh, yeah. absolutely. Like, Such you, a badass. La- she launching, that should launch franchise after franchise. Yeah. Uh And I... Because she became a world famous musician, that sure, I'm sure that the money's better. But well, she became J Lo. She became JLo.
3: Yeah, and then there but was that, no looking back after that. And
1: That high collared leather jacket. Yeah, man, she looked great and was tough sweat. and so smart.
3: Cool. Yeah, I mean, she was she was the smartest person in the movie.
1: The only smart. <laughs> it's her and Albert <laughs> Brooks are the
3: only half yeah, intelligent I guess people. Albert Brooks yeah. is. <laughs> um, you like to get down on the floor and tussle uh-huh. like Tuffy. <laughs> Uh, another one of my favorite lines is from Clooney when he's, uh, when he's, um, goes to meet Ridley and he gets offered the security guard job. And he goes, You were ice cream for freaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In yeah. prison. You were a dumpling. Yeah. It's just like to to type those words, you were ice cream for freaks. Yeah. Like, you go like, this will sound like a human being when they say, like, yeah. yeah I mean, that had to
1: be Leonard, right? Uh, I would, that does sound like something that would come straight from Leonard. Like, yeah, like straight from the book. There's also, uh, 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 that Cheadle has a line I love when they're taking Zahn to go murder this person uh, and, and like Zahn's like no it's my deal say. man blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he goes I think it's in the scene and he goes a situation like this has a high potentiality for a motherfucker to bitch out. Yeah. <laughs> and it just rolls off his tongue in a way that I don't do justice to. Oh, man. But it's so, like, there's so much character in that of, like, yeah. he's trying to sound big enough, but, like, yeah. the situation like this has a high potentiality for a common motherfucker to bitch yeah. out. <laughs> it's like, what is—this line is incredible, and he's right. all over the map on it. Yeah. he's great. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. He—God,
3: uh, I feel so bad for Glenn in this movie. Because— oh, yeah. God, he's the, the biggest dimwit of them all, mm-hmm. and and you know when he's in the car, he's he's stole that car, yeah, and he's and Don Cheadle's just like, no man, yeah, th- you know if I say this is my car, this is my car, yeah, just go steal another one, and there's nothing he can do about it, yeah, he's just
1: completely, he's just a big mouth who like yeah. found out about this thing because another big mouth, Albert Brooks, told him, yeah, and then that got all these other people involved.
3: Like, how did he survive prison, uh,
1: that guy? Also, I think too, like we don't. He he. It's a less flashy role, but Ving Rhames oh, he's is great. Also, in one of his more like restrained, uh-huh. like n- not crazy roles, yeah. Like, and he's just this like super loyal, nice
3: guy. Yeah, he's the conscience he, of the film
1: who, in a lot of ways. The, reason Jack Foley went away from jail is because every time he breaks the law, he calls his sister and right. confesses, but he wanted to get ahead of it. So Ving Rhames, Ving Rhames wanted to get ahead of it, so he called his sister before they yeah. did the job, and they got picked up, and they're still friends. Yeah. Like, that's it's really fun and lovely.
3: It is. They're, they're, they're very sweet with yeah. each other, and uh, they are good guys. Like, yeah. at the end, they could have gone away at the end of the Ridley robbery, but, you know, they're sitting in the van, and Clooney goes, they're going to rape that that housekeeper, yeah. and they're going to kill Ridley. Yeah. And, you know, he knew what he had to do. And he goes back in. He and, goes back in. And like, knowing what's – he's either going to die yeah. or go to jail. There's a
1: thing that Leonard does in a lot of his books that I really, really love where, like, it, it it's almost always – Overreach that te- tears these yeah. people down. Like there's one of my favorite I'm learn books is called Swag, mm-hmm. and the hook of it is I, I it would be a great movie. Is uh, this guy steals a car from a dealership mm-hmm. and gets caught um, when the o- dealership owner just sees him do it and he goes to jail. Uh, but then in trial, the ownership the guy owns the dealer goes like, uh, "Oh, never mind. I want to press charges. It's fine." Finds him later and goes, "Hey, I think I've come up with the foolproof way to." Rob places where you won't get caught. I have 10 steps and they drink together and they go over and they go, okay. And they start doing that. And the first half of the book is I'm like, following these rules and it works. And then the guy just gets a big head and he Uh starts breaking one rule after the other and like to get a little bit greedy. And of course they end up get caught and it becomes, it falls into violence. But like that inevitable progression of Uh a bad idea that you think is smart. Yeah. And then you don't know to not push it. Right. And then it falls like that's sort of the pattern of his books and Out of Sight does that really well. For sure. Even without the, the, the time jumpings there, but it's, they yeah. don't need these diamonds. Right. But they're gonna fucking do it. Yeah. And like
3: that results in a bunch of people dead yeah. and him going back to jail. Yeah, I mean, the whole time you're watching this, you want um you want Clooney to walk away from it all, but it, yeah. he even has the line, it's that trope. He says to to Ving, he says, Have you buddy, he's like, Have you ever known anyone that did the one big job and yeah. then walked away from it all? Yeah. He's like, That doesn't happen. Like guys mm-hmm. like us go until we get caught. Yep. And then we go again until we get caught and then eventually we go until we die. And he tries like when they when he, we
1: realize what the first scene is that first robbery where he he just smooth talks to the yeah. robbery. That, right before that is when he goes and he tries to go straight. Yeah. And Ego doesn't let him, but also Ripley being a dick doesn't let him. Right. Um, and so he freaks out and, yeah. he, and he snaps and he goes back to and then he tries to rob this bank and he goes back into prison. Yeah. And I, I, that, I love that moment so much because it tells you everything you need to know about him. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's Ego and yes, it's him. But also it's like, what what the fuck am I going to do? Yeah. Because I'm not going to wear these khaki shorts and stand as a security guard at a right.
3: bank. Um, Although Ridley is right. Yeah. Like seeing it – I hadn't seen it in a while and seeing it like with a few years under my belt in that scene I was like Ridley's right He, yeah. sh- he he's not gonna let this guy walk in and give him some great job because yeah. what does Ridley say he's like I will give you the good job he's like you'll get it he's like you but, but to you gotta, gotta show me first you gotta yeah. earn it and show me that you can change and I was watching it on the plane on the way here, I was like, "Oh fuck, man! He's right on the yeah. money. That's exactly his, how he should do his it." His
1: mistake is that like rich guy attitude of being like, exactly. "I'm better than you." You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and that's the and that that sends Foley off. Yeah. And because there's a way to make that argument of being like, "Okay," and you might be able to get Foley, but he does that like powerful rich guy. He's ba- he played the that role. He he based on like Michael Milken. That, oh, really? That, who's like a like a yeah? A, I remember that guy. Yeah, like an inside uh, uh-huh. a trader got busted and everything. and, Like yeah. that's what they based. That version of that character on, like right over to that, the hair thing. That's like what he oh, would wear. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you see him and you're like, oh, yeah, I see it. Absolutely. But, like, I love that little, like, everyone has an angle that never becomes shtick. Right. Like, every single character has a thing yeah. that's weird and makes them pop, but it's never being like, well, I always have a puppet. You know, like, yeah. it's always just enough that you can tag it and like talk about improv a bunch, but like, I think about that sort of stuff a lot, like, in in comedy and improv of being, like, you'll have your thing, but you also have to be able to be a normal person. Even if you're the weird one in the scene, if the context changes, you have to also be able to order a sandwich. Right. Uh, And, like, that's what they all have is being, like, Steve Zahn is so fucking dumb that I believe he
3: could order a hamburger if he needed to. And, like, so you're, like, okay, (laughs) yeah, then I I accept this world. Oh, interesting. I never really thought about it that way. That's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So— the very end, you know, uh, I think he had to leave you with some hope, yeah. Like, because the, the core of this film isn't the crime stuff, it's like this relationship, yeah, and this weird, um, thing where they're like, she well, she's shown a history of falling in love with the wrong guys, first mm-hmm. of all, because she falls in love with, or she's at least dating N- Ray Nicolette, Ray Nicolette, a <laughs> very good, who, name who, uh, yeah, totally, yeah. who, uh, who Farina, um. I haven't done midnight run in here, by the way. This is also one of my favorite movies ever. (laughs) Speaking of Farina, (laughs) R.I.P. But he uh, he says that you know he's married, yeah, and like he kind of makes reference to the fact that she's continually falling in love with the wrong guys. And then when she's talking to the her superior, who she totally puts in his place, which is great. That's a great scene. Yes. Have you ever been primary through the door? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, But he says something about the fact that she dated. Bank robber before, right? Yeah, there's something like that where like, or, or someone who but she shot him. Yeah, like which he, is total foreshadowing, of course. Of but, what, yeah,
1: what happens? Yeah, yeah I, for, I
3: always forget about that. Then,
1: like, so there's someone else. So she's always on. falling for the wrong, he's guy. wrong guys. But Clooney's kind of the right guy. Yeah, and he's like, and he's different. You know what I mean? Like he's he's not a ba- like again. He's a loser. He's not a bad yeah. boy. You know, like he's not that sort of thing. He's he's just this. I, I think probably that trunk scene. He's so dopey yeah. and excitable and puppyish, like, yeah, yeah. like that, like, she ends up being like, okay, well, this isn't the sort of person I'm normally, like, sending to jail. Yeah. Uh, and then they kind of fixate on each other. And, and it's so, like, uh, again, like, that that bar scene uh-huh. I think is one of the most, like, romantic and sexy scenes I've ever seen. It For is, sure. Because it's not just— So much heat in that yeah, scene. Yeah, and, like—, uh, like there's no nudity and it's there's like not like it, it's it's romantic yeah. like them sitting there with that snow falling and the moment where he snaps out of like that sort of like let's pretend we're different people and go like, uh-huh. how long are we gonna go on with this and she looks so sad yeah. that, that they can't just keep doing it for a little while yeah. and then when it starts intercutting with them back in the room and she's it's freeze framing and she's yeah. taking off the dress and he's like bumbling around kind of yeah. it is just like I, I there are very few scenes like that that stick with me To the way, to the degree that that scene sticks with me.
3: Yeah. And then the next day, the next morning, that scene is really great. Yeah. When he talks about, you know, the fact that she's smart, he's like, why would you think that I thought you were dumb? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like the way they played that was really great.
1: And it is, and a big part of it is, you know, the script is great and Soderbergh is great, but, you know, Clooney and Lopez are Are. so good. And I really don't think it can be said enough about how much in. 9798 98, I 98, friend, 98 yeah. that sort of performances from them would not be
3: Yeah, it's hard to kind of remember back yeah. before they were like these superstars. Where it's just sort of like
1: it, cuz it's small and it's grounded and yeah. it's it's uh, pretty egoless for she looks really cool but like for both of them they're, they're like in it, they, You don't yeah. feel the vanity sometimes you get from super famous people being on TV, right. especially when George Clooney is one of the most famous people in the world. Yeah. You don't get a, a glimmer of that. And yeah, I yeah. actually think George Clooney in general has really good taste and stuff. Sure. He's, he's clearly a smart guy. But it, I think it took Soderbergh to get him to uh-huh. be like, hey, let's open up this thing. And right. he's like, oh, OK, yeah, you're right. I'm not Hunky Doctor. I'm something else.
3: Yeah, and they – I mean, you know – he was attached, pre-attached when yeah. Soderbergh got it, but they obviously they went on to work together. Uh, yeah, kind of right afterwards he, they did the Solaris remake. Yeah, which wasn't great. Yeah, but um, again, reaching for the like swinging for the yeah. fences. Absolutely, it's like you're not going to fault Soderbergh for yeah. remaking Solaris because it's
1: never going to be like oh you made a movie that like I fully just forgot about the second I watched it. It'll be like right, I didn't enjoy that. Yeah, um, but it's never going to be like. Oh, Soderbergh did that. So right. it's gonna be like when you were, if it's a movie you didn't like, you're gonna like, yeah, that was a Soderbergh movie because yeah. it's always and it always looks, yeah, like he he. There's that thing people pass it around every now and again on social media, but like that idea of uh, uh, where he was talking about Fury Road mm-hmm. and how like he he still pulls apart other movies to try and figure out how people did it. Oh, interesting. And he wrote this wonderful thing about how like I don't know how George Miller did. Like, oh, it's, really? it's, it's, I cannot do this. I can't figure it out. I've watched this so many times and tried wow. to pull apart, but just like-
3: So he stumped Soderbergh? <laughs> yeah.
1: And I admire that so much of being like, he could fucking coast. He could make yeah. anything he wanted. He could, he could make big movies, just get rich, rich, rich. Um, but he's still going, I'm going to pull apart this movie that I enjoyed because I need to understand how it works. Right. And like- True nerddom there. Yeah. Um, but, like, I find that so goddamn admirable. Yeah. And I think that's what leads to him doing things like, was it Mosaic? What was that, like, weird?
3: I didn't see it. Was uh, that the iPhone
1: one or? That was the one that was, like, on, I think, HBO and then also oh, on this right. an app and everything. I might be
3: With butchering. Sharon Stone? I, f- I forget who's in it because I, I didn't. I think, I think I know what you're talking about and I no. did not see that.
1: Um, but it was, like, that's. An experiment that can only come from someone like constantly learning, right? And I think that is incredible to have made. I think things yeah. are basically masterpieces, and be like, and I still am not done learning. Is yeah, a lot not a lot. of Dudes are able, dudes in particular, to let the ego go enough. I think. Yeah, I think that. you're
3: right. And you know, I think he said he was retiring, and then just. Yeah, immediately like, nah, what, what are you talking about? Why would I do that? <laughs> I'm gonna make this weird movie about dolls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't see that one either. Bubble, yeah. bubble. Yeah, that was one. Yeah, th- I, there's a few of his. I mean, just because it's who he is. Yeah. I like. I think I owe it to him to see everything. A lot. Sometimes there'll be stuff that I was like, "Oh, he's doing that." I was like, "Man, I'm glad he did that." And I probably won't get around to it. Right.
1: Um, but like, <laughs> like that's kind of my take of like, so cool that he did that sort of thing. But also, uh,
3: you know, yeah, only so much time. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, so the end that you know you have to end it on that hopeful ending because the undercurrent of their relationship. Like you want them to be together, Mm -hmm. um, but you don't necessarily want to see them riding off into the sunset. Yeah, Like that feels fault.
1: Like she lets Glenn run away. Yeah.
3: And that last shot of him just running through the snows,
1: he's so pathetic. (laughs) But like once they get to the house and all these people have been murdered and everything, like it, The movie wouldn't work if she was like, get out of here. Right. Uh, Or like, and then we'll run away to a beach. Yeah. No Uh, one wants to see that. But he, cause it, and it's not true to him. He has to go to jail. He's a loser. He has to go to jail. Yep. Uh, But that optimism of maybe he's probably going to break out again. Because he keeps breaking out of jails is like-
3: such a great n- – <laughs> van just drives away. Oh, and it's like, Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson. And, and it's just the way they play it, you know, like yeah. how many times – he's like nine times yeah. he broke out of jail. Mm-hmm. And then that just shot of her kind of grinning. Yeah. It's like she orchestrated this whole thing. So great. Yeah, and she, she kind kept of him in that
1: jail for a week to te- put them together. Yeah. And it's great. Oh, it was man. So fun. So good. Um, you got anything else? About the movie? Yeah. Hours and hours, but um, (laughs) uh, absolutely. Uh, There's one other moment that I love uh, uh, so much, and it's the elevator moment. Oh, when God. they're it's right like, before they go to Detroit, that. like yeah. the music in the movie is great. Dave Holmes did the score, but it's also got a bunch of great stuff. in this some Isley Brothers song, yeah. And they hard cut to Detroit, um, and it's uh, Isley Brothers Fight the Power, which is a great song, and it right. comes in hard. But there's a moment right before that where they're like, um, packing like they're in this hotel in Miami, and <laughs> Bing Rame's triangular, like, we gotta get out here, we gotta get out here. And He's like, oh, I wanna see her one more time, and they're going down to the car. And these sort of, like, chauvinistic cops are like, okay, we figure out where they are. We're <laughs> yeah. going to go up and— uh, Take the um, stairs. Yeah, you have to, to Jennifer Lopez's character, to Karen Cisco wait and watch the lobby, which is, like, the shit job. <laughs> right. Like, this is my case. This is the whole thing about it. <laughs> so they go down— Uh, and as these cops taking the stairs up and the doors open so this little old lady can get off and it takes (laughs) forever and Clooney looks up and sees her and she's on the couch and she sees him and Uh they just stare at each other and as the doors close, he just does this little (laughs) nerdy wave Yeah. uh, and the doors close (laughs) um, and she goes, I saw her, she's in the lobby and and Bing Rhames like, what? And they're like, okay, let's go to Detroit and they hard cut out. But just that, her just watching him Uh
3: and that little wave is... And then it cuts back to her, and yeah. she's just still sort of frozen. Yeah, just she freezes up, yeah.
1: and it isn't. It's another way of showing one of those like kind of like timeouts. I think. Yeah, um, but it's so fucking fun where it she is. like lets him go, but it doesn't. feel It just feels like what? What do I do? I, I'm yeah. I've got ten impulses right now.
3: It felt real. Yeah,
1: and 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 it's it's I. It's so
3: and the way he played it was just so great. Yeah, and that part actually reminded me of the earlier. The very first bank robbery scene as the great moment where he's he 's robbing the girl and he 's just yes. been so charming. And he, he tells her, have a nice day. And she goes, you too. Y- yeah. And she, like, catches herself, yeah. like, so befuddled with, with the customer service still. There's another moment. <laughs>
1: actually, talking about the ending, too, and having to have that nice ending, there's a great moment where he fakes it out early on, uh-huh. where, like, after the first robbery, and she's, like, on to him, and they escape in the trunk and everything, and they're right. in Miami. And it cuts with, like, no hint that something different is coming. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I know what you're talking about. And um, Clooney's taking a bath uh-huh. with these candles around yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Karen Sisko's coming down the hall alone with a gun and uh-huh. she's gonna bust him she comes in and he's in the tub and she climbs into the tub with him Yeah. and I remember when I saw in the theater like in the 20s I remember people going like what? Yeah. It's so it's like because it, it feels like a bullshit Hollywood thing to have happen For sure. and a very like 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 dude centric she gets in the tub Yeah. and it cuts and it's a dream sequence it's her waking up it's
3: her fantasy yeah her yeah. fantasy
1: she's been in like a
3: coma right.
1: because she got into a car accident with uh, Idiot Sees <laughs> On, on. Um, and that's all that was. Yeah. And it, I think that is kind of a way of going like, we're not – don't worry. Yeah. We're not doing this in this movie. Right. Um, Because yeah. it, it, it sells it. Like, they've done all these time jumps and uh-huh. it's treated the same way. So, yeah. you're like, oh, this is not – what human being does is go, oh, none do. Right. It's just like a fever dream right. she's having.
3: Well, and it's a bit of misdirection in that it wasn't his fantasy. Yeah. So, it's the first sort of indicator like – that he is on her mind. Yeah. Like, they're both sort of obsessed with each other. Yeah. Like, he calls her on the phone. That's when, right. When she's sitting there with Dennis Frina and Michael yeah. Keaton. She's like, ah, uh, give me five minutes. Yeah, she steps up. out. Because, and, you know, when, when Bing Rames brings over the newspaper, oh, is Karen in there? Does it say what she's doing yeah. now? I mean, he's like a little schoolboy almost. such
1: like a high school crush <laughs> sort of
3: thing, and it's so, so it's
1: fun. It's sweet. And then while that scene's going on, also, there's the great, like, Dennis Freena just dismantling... Yeah. <laughs> Michael Keaton. Like, I, I love Michael Keaton because he's such, like, uh, he's willing to look the fool so much. And he's just this cocky, gum-chewing piece of shit. Yeah. And it's just Dennis Freina very confidently holding eye contact uh-huh. and just basically calling him out for cheating on his wife. And it's a shame we never got a movie with just those two people. Yeah. Just, like, headlining yeah, it. Yeah, and that would That would have been a delight.
3: I did a TV. I was a PA on a TV commercial out here in the early 2000s, and we were shooting in this neighborhood in uh, Brentwood. And you know how it is on set like everyone's just sort of hanging out outside while they're shooting inside. This Porsche wheels around the corner and parks, not doesn't park, like just stops sort of sideways, half in the street, half in the driveway. Michael Keaton jumps out to to check his mail. (laughs) And it was such an egregious, like, there's someone shooting across the street for me. Yeah, I'm gonna Keaton this thing up and jump out like to check the mail in the most like obnoxious way possible. <laughs> and he entertained us all for ten minutes. We, I was like, Michael Keaton's down there, and he he kind of gave the nod of like, come on down, PAs. Yeah, and he just sort of talked to us for uh, ten minutes. That's so, that's and he was so like great. the nicest guy. And and He's this was a while person. ago, like before the, like the big comeback. But uh, like you know, to us, he was Beetlejuice, and he yeah. was uh, he was Batman for God's sake. Yeah. Like one of the biggest stars in the world. And also one of the most like uh
1: like I, I sometimes you like I get why George Clooney like fills the frame and like sure. I'm watching Oceans Eleven, Julia Roberts has like a nothing part. And when she's yeah. on screen, you're looking at her. Like right. she's such a goddamn movie star. Yeah. And you watch Michael Keaton, you're like, why can't I not watch you? <laughs> like, and, like if you're on screen, I'm looking at you and it's yeah, like, and I can't put my finger on what it is about him. There's that scene in that like uh Spider-Man movie,
3: uh-huh.
1: where like that's the, the best thing in the movie. People talk about where he figures it out, right? And he's driving them to the dance, yeah. and in the back seat, and he's not doing a lot, yeah. And you're just getting reams of information off of him, and yeah. he's A gorgeous, just yeah, his self-confidence, yeah. Is Stunning. Like yeah. and that's why Beetlejuice works too, because that's a different version of it. It was like, what if I do it all? Right. <laughs> what if I go to hundred? Yeah, yeah. And I again I, I, I'm blown away by someone who's like, I can be Beetlejuice. Right. I can play I can play these things small. He tends to or like I can things be big. Mr. Mom. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> the most grounded of small characters.
3: What if a dad had to clean? I'm so uh, I'm so nervous about the Beetlejuice sequel. Are they, st- are they
1: uh, uh, a very— I think uh, they're still doing it. I know—I I would imagine the the musical will help, like that, yeah. like Anthony King. Like, he's a very talented writer, a uh, UCB guy, like, wrote. And oh, really? Like, and I want to—I am I want to see the set looks incredible. I'm sure. But it seems like it, it's changed. It's not just, here's the movie.
2: It right. seems, like,
1: thematically connected more. Yeah. But, like, I, I would be— that Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii thing that they kept almost making in the early 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was like the original sequel they wanted to do. Was was it? It was like a, a, he, I don't know how. I don't know what exactly it was, but Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii was was the hook of it. And it it does, (laughs) it works so well just living alone. Yeah. Because I think of the Dietzes, because of the Dietzes and the Maitlands. Right. Like they are the movie. Yeah, Beetlejuice is such a small part. And I'd be like, what are they going to do in a sequel that isn't just Beetlejuice wall to wall? Because I don't really want to see 90 minutes of, yeah. Field Juice, the character. I, right. I want Lydia
3: to to cut it. Yeah, yeah. I never really thought about that. That was sort of the secret sauce of that movie. Because,
1: yeah. I mean, the, some of the funniest stuff in that movie – is I mean, like Catherine O'Hara is yeah. a, a, a worldwide great. treasure. Yeah, uh, and like everything she does is just
3: yeah so good. Have you ever worked with her?
1: Oh gosh, no. I've, I, when I was at Funny Your Die. There are some people I was constantly chasing. Oh really? She was one of them. But I think yeah. she lives in Canada, so I could never get her. Um, and who that, else? Uh, uh, the. Um, <laughs> the, the weirdest person, I, I would always try and get David Byrne for something, uh-huh. um, but he lives in, lived in New York, right here. The weirdest thing that I tried for years, the whole time I was there to get, was I wanted to do a video with Patty Duke. Oh, wow. Uh, and I wanted to do um, uh, uh, Great Gardens, uh-huh. but with her as the two Patty Dukes <laughs> from the Patty Duke show, which – and like, to be fair, this – New media streaming comedy company in yeah. 2011 wasn't like, yeah, let's do a video about a 1960s sitcom. Right. The only other reference <laughs> point is a 1970s documentary. <laughs> like, it was a hard sell. Also, yeah. And then also to Patty Duke, who I did get them to, like, reach out a couple times. I'm not sure the, will you do a free,
3: funny or die video. Yeah. Really hit with, like, an 80-year-old woman who was yeah. like, what? No. Right. It's funny that I'm like – she could either be Totally Game for that yeah. or just totally You never confused. know. And I think it was just sort of like, I'm sure whoever her people are are also like, yeah, we'll
1: run it by yeah. her. And then, no, but I still, that was like my. Is she still with us? No, she passed like away a couple way, years ago. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. uh, I, I inexplicably loved Patty Duke as a kid. Really? Despite not being 80 <laughs> years old. <laughs> the like, Patty I, Duke I, show. Like it was on Nick at Night and I was like, Patty uh, yeah, Duke, I was
3: like F Troop and the Patty Duke show. Oh, God, I loved F Troop. Yeah. So good. Larry uh, Storch? Storch, yeah. Yeah, man. He's the best. There's something. I actually think you could remake F Troop
1: and have it work. There are some very culturally insensitive things with the Americans. But the core idea of both sides are pretending to be at war just so that their bosses don't fuck with them is very funny. (laughs) It is. Uh, And I think you could update that and have it it be great.
3: Totally.
2: I'm back, and you're welcome. The Ron Burgundy podcast returns with a brand new season, and I'm pulling out all the stops. In the past, you've heard me speak and do a minimal amount of listening with luminaries from all walks of life. I've spoken to everyone from Gloria Steinem to the San Diego Chicken. How's that for a tapestry of audio entertainment? This season is going to be even more exciting. We've got some great guests lined up. So far, we've booked a couple of guys from the band Wang Chung, and that is it. Seriously, I'm not going to lie. We are underbooked, and it's a problem. I had to call the Wang Chung guys myself. They're friends and doing me a big favor, so anyone listening to this, help me out. If you know Timothy Chalamet, tell him to return my damn calls already. Listen to the Ron Burgundy Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Uh, all right, man, we finish every uh, episode with five questions. Great. Um, what is the first movie you saw in the movie theater? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, it might be Stop Making Sense. I, oh,
1: wow, no, My really? parents took me to see Stop Making Sense. I don't remember it, um, but they have stories of me dancing in the aisles. I still love talking to this to this day. Um, but So I think <laughs> probably because that would have been 84, so I would have been two or three. So Stop Making Sense I think is probably it.
3: Did you see that last David Byrne tour? Yeah. American oh, Utopia.
1: Yeah. Whew, that was good. That was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Same. I've seen him a bunch because I'm, I am I just love
3: talking so much. And I like some of his solo stuff. But that tour, yeah.
1: like, legit inspired me.
3: Yeah, yeah. same. Uh, my wife and I went to that, and I had a couple of moments. One where I literally almost passed out from Euphoria. Did you see it in Atlanta? Yeah. I think my mom was at that show. I bought
1: her tickets. When I saw it, I was like, my oh, mom's really? going to love this, and she lives in Atlanta. And oh, so no way. I was like- What uh, part of
3: Atlanta? Uh, like Sandy Springs. Okay. Yeah. So I got her tickets. Yeah, man, I was there. So I almost passed out from Euphoria. Um, little booze, little weed. Sure. But um, during Once in a Lifetime, and there was this, the music and the, the, the spectacle, everything just like got to, you know, you yeah. know that live show thing where- Uh, You sort of leave your body. Yeah. Uh, That happened. And I almost fainted. And I'm not a fainter. Yeah. Um, So that, and then uh, just leaving, just thinking like this guy in his, uh, I guess, 60s. Yeah. Like still innovating to that level. Was so just the, so fucking stagecraft
1: was. I don't get. Um, I don't like uh, freak out around famous people that much. Mm-hmm. Just because I think of like they're on UCB and, and sure. Funny or Die. I just met incredibly famous people, and so I'm, I'm, pretty calm. But like that doesn't apply to musicians. Oh yeah. And like if I'm gonna melt down, it's gonna be around a musician. And like I got to meet him once after a show, and I just like, wow. like Dick Van Dyke bumbled my way. <laughs> <trying> to, <laughs> and, like so, like when I melt down, it's always like someone. It's like. Yeah, I'm in a room with Carrie Brownstein, and right. I love Slayer Kenny, and I can't function. Yeah, um, and like he was the the most bumbling I've ever been in a room with because, and like he's a weirdo. He didn't. Yeah, like oh, okay, he like
3: you know, Corin uh, Tucker and Lance Bangs yeah. were at um, Max Fun a couple of years ago, and I was a, sort of the same way. I was like, yeah. I I'd sort of fringe New Lance somehow. And so I went up and said hi to him and Corn came up and I was just like, oh my God. And she was like, she was like, oh, Chuck. She was like, my family loves Stuff You Should Know. We listened to it in the car, me and my kids. And I was like, are you kidding me? And she's like the nicest lady and a mom and a wife. And I'm like, you know, she's great. Like we'd be pals. Yeah. I love that band so
1: much. And they're so smart and human and great and wonderful. And I can't wait for the new album. But like, I I, I would assume that they would be very nice to interact with. Yeah, Uh, Similarly, like I, I truly love... Ted Leo and Ted Leo and the pharmacist. And I've like a lot, I, I've never met him, but I have a lot of mutual friends with him. Uh And I've he's been in places. going to Max Fun tomorrow. Is he? Yeah. So he's another one where I just like, I've been in places with him and yeah. I just kind of like stare at the floor because uh <laughs> like some of those albums meant like so much yeah. to me during part, like tough times in my life and everything. And like, so I just go like, I can't, uh I will, I will melt down if I try to touch that you. That is I
3: literally can't. going to be me tomorrow yeah. because you know, that the, the cabin hang that happens yes. after everything mm-hmm. ted leo is going to be with us and i'm just going to be like yeah uh, if i were there i
1: would not talk to him <laughs> i would not i would i would spend however long it's going on wanting to yeah
3: and not being
1: able to think of anything worthwhile saying
3: i've happens. met him two or three times over the years through mutual friends and every time he says like it's nice to meet you and i never have the oh yeah you know what are you going to say like oh uh, no you've met oh, me before me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like i i'm the guy you never remember I got distracted because there's good a reason. dog above us. Oh, there is? The floor above us on the ceiling is is the glass floor oh, and the dog no. ran across. I didn't house. even know that. Interesting. Um, boy, interesting. we got sidetracked there. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> get the dog back up. Creep on that dog some more. I do have to say, though, to just uh, to, through your Facebook, the, the thing I always uh, – I sort of love reading your feed because of your music stuff. Oh, you always do the end of the year, like, favorite albums and stuff. Yeah. And I always know I'm going to find, like, good new stuff. Oh, thanks. Through you because I've – just in the last couple of years, I've gotten to the point where I'm not discovering as much new stuff anymore. Yeah, which is like, it's hard. You, I never you, it, thought like I was like, no, nah, man, I'm always going to be getting the new bands. And yeah, even though like I'm 48 and they're like 23, yeah. I'll go to those shows. And I did up until a couple of years ago, and I stopped discovering bands Me except too. through you and your and your end of year lists.
1: Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Uh,
3: that and your and your politics. you uh, post
1: too much about politics. Huh? I do post too much about
3: politics. No, I think it's great because you're you're one of the few, um, like you're one of the great liberals in my feed. That's, <laughs> that's what doing, my tattoo says. That's <laughs> one of the great liberals. <laughs> that's doing it right. Like uh, I have a lot of uh, friends that are liberals that are doing it wrong on Facebook, mm-hmm. and that I think are hurting the cause. And I think you do it right. Oh, thank you. So uh, well done. Oh, that's very nice. It's always reasoned and intelligent and. Honestly, I think it's that lack of – that hatred of competition. <laughs> like, people would be, like, screaming and be like, eh, all right, no, that's fine. Scream away. All right. Number two, uh, first R-rated movie you saw, uh, mm. theater or home, and, like, was that a thing for you? Was that a big Ooh. deal? Uh, uh,
1: at home, I'm not sure because I remember, like, or, like, Sleepover I, – I bet I just watched stuff with my parents. It didn't matter. Like, so, like, Sleepovers – I mentioned Terminator 2. Like, that was – Early on, also if for some reason in my fairly rural New Hampshire upbringing, mm-hmm. like um, like Boys in the Hood was really big in our like third and fourth grade class. <laughs> like if you got to see Boys in the Hood, that was like a big deal. Wow! Uh, so it was probably something like that. Uh-huh. And I remember in the theater seeing Die Hard with a Vengeance which might have been the first R-rated movie I ever saw in yeah. a theater. I assume that's R-rated.
3: That was Sam, the Sam Jackson one, That right? was the Sam yeah. Jackson one, yeah. That was yeah. good.
1: And the, the the one that was originally a movie called Simon Says, and they're like, what if it's a diehard movie? Right. And every time they- <laughs> Oh, like, really?
3: Did that start was, out just, as a non-diehard? It was
1: just the premise of like a cop has to go over and solve oh. these riddles, and then they just made a diehard movie. So like, the, and if you watch, next time you, it's on TV, and it's uh-huh. always on, watch it for the ham fist of being like, well, this thing happened in L.A. Okay. And then they just go back to the movie. It's they just so, wedge in like diehard things. They just jam in these like weird oh, references and then be like, and what if he's Hans Gruber's brother? And the movie <laughs> does not care about that. Right. Like
3: it's irrelevant. But they're like, yeah, we got tied in somehow. That sort of makes sense now. Yeah. Um, will you walk out of a bad movie? Uh, and do you remember doing so recently? I, I it would. I can't imagine what would make me walk out of a, of a movie. Like right. I, I don't think I've ever
1: done it. Okay. Yeah.
3: Good. Uh, Number four, uh, Taylor to the guest. So since you're a director of comedy, what, what, I was going to say, what movie do you wish you would have directed? But that's kind of not fair. Who would be your dream, like, comedy duo to direct? Oh, um. Or not even duo, just. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Um,
1: the. Living or dead? Sure, yeah. The, uh, uh. I'll, I'll give a couple of mini answers. One – the the one that's terrifying to say because he is a genius director but is – and we talked about much is like Albert Brooks mm. obviously is, uh, is massive and wonderful and so fucking funny but also like I guess I wouldn't want to because – how, in my own head, I'd be the whole time trying to tell Albert Brooks how to be funny, Like, <laughs> what a fucking nightmare that would be for me. Right. Um, oh, you know what? Um, I love Flight of the Concord so much, that mm, show. Yeah. And I I find those guys so funny that I, I would, uh, uh, I think that would be, if I could just pick anyone to like uh-huh. track something with them, it'd probably be uh, uh, either or both of them.
0: That
3: feels like something that could happen. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, New Zealand. <laughs> Oh okay. Uh and then finally, uh movie going one oh one. What is your movie ritual? Where do you where do you sit? What do you eat? What, I almost how do, always how do you get do it? popcorn. Okay. Un,
1: un uncravely. I tend to like there's there's uh, I do a lot of the arc light here in LA for LA people know what it is, but there's sure. also the theater, the Vista that over, which We've is talked a lot about the Vista. Oh, what I a wonderful live right theater. around the corner from the Vista. Love it. Love it. Love it. More leg room than I've ever seen in a movie theater. Yeah, It's ridiculous. Um, absolutely incredible. And I love that place so much. Um, so like that was like going there normally in the middle and, uh, uh, like, uh, Front back wise. And then uh, weirdly, I've, I've noticed just recently, it's like you have to buy tickets. I err on the side of like to the left of the theater if I can't get dead oh, okay. center. Uh-huh. Like I'll always prefer that over the right. And I don't know why. I kind of do too, actually. Yeah. I can't.
3: I don't free- know if that's the way I enter. Yeah. And I just don't like going to the other side. But, like, because here there's so many places where you have to buy the seats. Right, even beforehand. Then,
1: so, like, I'm thinking, some part of my brain is going, like, go left, go left. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what, what's pushing me. It might just be I started doing it, and then now it's, yeah. like, DNA baked in, but I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. And uh, popcorn. Yeah, and, and always popcorn, which I, I'm, like— my wife makes fun of me because uh, like I eat. It. I don't understand how people eat popcorn without being horrifying popcorn monsters. Right. Like I like I shovel popcorn <laughs> in my mouth and it's yeah. horrifying. And I'll be like, I'm not going to do that. And then I'll be like, I hate this. Like I hate eating it slowly. I don't enjoy it. Yeah. I'll just really right. shovel what is basically styrofoam right. into my mouth. Right. All into over your shirt. My stomach hurts. Right.
3: <laughs> awesome, Alex. Thanks a lot, man. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Alright everyone, hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Always fun to sit down and talk with Alex. I'm super sad that he has stopped his uh, UCB movie show because I always wanted to be on it. But uh, maybe he'll bring it back one day once his cute little 10-month-old baby grows up a little bit and they have more time on their hands. But uh, we had a great time talking about Soderbergh and Out of Sight and the craft of directing and editing and uh, directing actors. Uh, Really good insight from Alex. Uh, Check out Children's Hospital. Go see Convoy if you're ever in L.A. Uh, The shows are cheap, and uh, UCB, that's the great thing, is you never ever have to spend more than a few bucks to get in, see some of the greatest comedy that uh, you're ever going to see with Convoy. And uh, support Alex and everything he does. I hope to see him get that TV show one day that we talked about. It would be great, I guarantee it. So big thanks to Alex, and thanks to you guys for listening. And until next time, why don't you get in a trunk with George Clooney? Because I sure would. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio,
0: visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, everyone. This is uh, Jake Brennan from the Disgraceland podcast, and I want to quickly tell you about a show I'm executive producing called Dear Young Rocker. This is a music-driven podcast memoir by my friend Chelsea Urson. Chelsea takes us on a journey through her formative years, and together we relive the experience of being a teenager in a way that's raw, real, and instantly relatable. That's right, all the anxiety, awkwardness, insecurity, and formative weirdness that we all felt at one time or another growing up. If you love music and ever felt a little out of place, I have a feeling you're going to love this show. Dear Young Rocker is also set to a nostalgia-inducing soundtrack that will inspire you to pull out those albums from the 90s and the early 2000s, The first few episodes are available now, so search Dear Young Rocker wherever you listen to podcasts and give it a listen.
2: Hello, this is Ron Burgundy, and you are listening to my voice which commands trust and respect. Guess what? My podcast is back, and that's a win for everyone. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you probably already know the deal. Each week, I bring you hard-hitting journalism and also light entertainment. I contain multitudes. Find the Ron Burgundy Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.